welcome to the Chirp Podcast. This is uh, Linda from CRA Today and Leon Scott from Chirp. Welcome, Linda. It's so wonderful to have you. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Honolulu, Hawaii. Happy to be wow. here. Today. Wonderful. I'd love to, for you to introduce yourself to um, our listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are in your business today. Oh, sure. So I um, was a banker. I grew up <laughs> professionally within a bank and I worked for a U.S. bank for about 12 years and I got introduced to the Community Reinvestment Act, which is a federal U.S. regulation, and I got to build a program with a mentor of mine and I fell in love with community development. So over the last 20 nine years, this is what I've been doing, is focusing on community development initiatives and supporting bankers now to help comply with the law, but more importantly, how to leverage capital for the greater good. So I created CRA Today in 2019, pre-pandemic, and wanted to really address the lack of training opportunities in our market. And I know how it is when I know how it is to be a CRA officer without training because I've been there. And while we have conferences and roundtables from the government and industry leaders, we don't have a lot of practitioner based training. So I wanted to solve for that. So that's what I've been doing since 2019. I have a membership in a course and do some private training. And I couldn't be more excited to serve the industry and to do the work that I do. So yeah, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Amazing. I think there's so much that needs to be done within communities to help support and raise them up. So you said that you started in banking and you've been in it for many years. What kind of prompted you to make the leap into building your own business as opposed to continuing as um, a corporate employee? Once I was at the bank and I had been there for 12 years, I was ready for something new to take a deeper dive into community development. And I also had my young children. So I actually transitioned into consulting shortly thereafter. So from my corporate experience, and that allowed me to have some balance and to focus on the family as well as continuing my work with banks, just from a different angle. And then in 2019, I've just been so curious about the online space that I did a lot of research for many years until I took the leap and uh, created an online uh, membership. It's been an interesting journey and I, I would never go back, but it definitely took some courage to launch and to try something that my industry, that they didn't really know about memberships and courses and all of that. So completely new concept in a very stable industry that's used to doing a webinar or roundtables or conferences. I shook up the opportunities that exist for my target market, my bankers. Wonderful. And did you find that it was a, a massive challenge to really change or to gain hearts and minds on side to be able to offer this in such a different way? Because banking is is quite established, quite male-dominated, very regulated. How did you cope with that challenge and how did you go about doing that? 
it did take a while. <laughs> People didn't really quite understand my membership concept. So I had to do a lot of meetings and I had some true believers that joined me early on. And then we really created the product and the offerings together by adapting to what their current pain points were or are, and just really adapting my community. And what I love about the work that I do is it's so community. I have an opinion. I've been doing this for 29 years and I have a, a concept and a thought on how my officers might move forward, but the true power is in my community when we get together to solve problems that are real, that are practitioner-based, and we come up with such great opportunities to move forward with some of our programs and some of our tough questions we have within our banks. The community means everything to me, and it's been, it's taken a while to really, to, to prove that concept, so... Having partners along the way is really important too. So I have a wonderful partner in Cadence and they're a software company and they have software and I have training. So we have a beautiful relationship and we've forged this relationship for the last three years and it's been uh, wonderful. A little bit of everything really. <laughs> There's on the way. <laughs> Very definitely not. And did you do, do you think that there was a time where you were like, you just can't get people to understand what you're saying and that you felt like you needed that that you were fighting a losing battle or <laughs> do you what? feel like yeah tell me the entrepreneur's journey <laughs> is ups downs twists lefts and right right sometimes it can shift on the hour <laughs> In terms of the confidence and when I was launching and pitching, if you will, and sharing what I have to offer, it I was uncertain and I was brave and I was courageous and I just really believe in how I serve. So sometimes I have a little self-doubt <laughs> and wonder if what I am offering really serves the market. But along the way, I've had great feedback and testimonials and people feel really alone in this work. And they often say, I no longer feel alone. Thank you so much for creating this community. I couldn't do my work with, I couldn't do my job without the support of CRA today. And that keeps me going through the self-doubt, through sometimes I felt like I was talking to no one on the other side, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's we all hard do. to keep going. But I truly believe in what I offer and that it's needed in this community. So you just keep moving forward, right? You just keep moving yeah. forward. Absolutely. They do say that the kind of future of marketing is not so much in brand, but in community. And that if you truly want to make a success in this next kind of phase of growth and evolution, you have got to be building that community. And I think maybe it's a bit of a, a, a layover from the pandemic where everybody felt so isolated and realized that we'd started separating and when they isolated us, we really felt that loneliness. Formed the company in 2019, but I launched August of 2020. So I launched in the pandemic when banks were you know, dealing with a lot and they obviously weren't getting out. So 
it was the right product at the right time, even though there was still some market confusion. And so we've remained obviously online. And whenever I visit certain states, I meet up with my community and it's a beautiful thing, but it's definitely a super niche, right? I have, there's 4,800 US banks in, there's 4,800 or so banks in the US. And so what who I serve is a compliance officer in one of those banks. So it, it's sometimes hard to find and get their attention. And it's just a beautiful opportunity. And within those 4,800, I, based on asset size, there's about 1,700 that's my target market. So this is very personal to me. And I form connections and I care. So we get to know each other. And it's a very, a very private community where they feel safe to ask questions and to learn and grow together. I'm so happy with how we've built it and how we're scaling it. And we also have regulatory change right in front of us. And that means our government is about to change the CRA. And it's going to create a lot of confusion again. And so I have the products and the way to serve. I want to welcome everybody in and we'll get through it together because no one will be an expert at this point. And we'll have to figure it out together. And the government will have some initiatives, but we'll really have to translate that down to how do we comply at our banks and how do we move forward? So... There's a lot going on in our industry right now. Absolutely. And tell me, that's a hyper, hyper niche market. And it must feel really challenging at times because you're like, 1,700 people is all I have. Is that daunting for you? Or how do you manage that? Or does it just feel we can actually put our arms around every single one of those people and, and support them? I would say I have about 10% of the market. And once the regulation changes, then we'll have an opportunity to serve more, right? 1,700 people and changing lives really radiates out from there. While they come to me looking for technical compliance, right, to do their job, my goal is on the other side of the regulation where they can leverage the bank's capital for the greater good, partner with community entities, and to really provide opportunity for those that don't have other ways, really provide opportunity for those that have less opportunities in front of them. So the banks serve everyone, right? It's very place-based. And I inspire our, and I inspire our, hold on, I need some water. <laughs> Can you ask that question again? Um. Or you asked it, just tell me it and then we'll splice it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, How did you, so your niche is quite a hyper niche, is really small. Do you find that daunting at times or do you feel like it's a manageable amount of people that you can really put your arms around and hug each time? What's really cool about it is that we get to know each other and it is a small community. And I think that's powerful. There's not one person that we don't understand their journey, right? And that we can connect through this regulation, which is our common core. And I remember when I was at the bank, I felt alone in it because oftentimes in our more community-sized banks, 
it's one person in charge of this regulation. And it's very different from other consumer compliance regulations. This is really an opportunity for them to see, to, for them to be heard and seen and cared for, because I know how it is. You get through an exam, they're examined every three years and you, it was a big feat and there's no one that really gets it. And so we celebrate when people get through their exam because we know how hard that is and um, we're there for each other. So it's beautiful having a small community and there's lots of growth opportunities. There's more people entering uh, this space. No one really grows up saying, I want to be a compliance officer. <laughs> a lot of us find our way into being a CRA and compliance officer. And there's not a lot of training. So that's what I try to do is to help them do their job, understand how to leverage capital and communities and really make a difference. So the CRA was enacted by U.S. Congress in 1977, and it requires banks to serve the community, of course, but not to exclude low and moderate income people and also to serve small businesses. And so when we look at that, there's the greater good at stake. When we partner and invest in our communities, we all become stronger together. And what's beautiful about this small community is that I see change with one person, with one community, and these officers are doing it. So it's so satisfying. And yes, we're small, but we feel, we feel big because together we're this larger community and there's a lot of work to do. That's how I think about it. Yeah. I love the way you think about it because we compliance is not sexy. It's not um, fun. And you only have 1700 people in your market. And I'm thinking the next generation are probably looking at compliance and going, mm, it's a little bit boring, but actually the passion that you speak with and the way you can see how this can change lives. I love that. And I just, I, I want everybody who's in compliance to come and talk to you now. Cause <laughs> well, yeah, what's cool about it is, yeah, it's not, people look at it as pure compliance and I don't blame them. That's how, that's really how our industry looks at consumer compliance, but the CRA is unique and different. And that's what I love about it is that sure, there's a technical compliance and we have to make sure that we're meeting certain benchmarks. But what's beautiful about it is the power of changing people's lives. And nobody teaches that anymore. So I hope that I inspire folks to be able to do their job, the technical compliance, but get out into community and learn how to partner with entities and really get out there and to build up the community. And that piece can be a little bit tricky, but hopefully I inspire folks to take action and to try to partner and take the next natural next step to do that work. So it's what I love and to tell me. So what is compliance? What do you do? What is the the day-to-day -day almost that a compliance officer would actually be working on? When they run a CRA program, they're typically, but not always, in a compliance department. And the compliance department is responsible for making sure that the bank is following U.S. 
federal regulations and mostly to protect consumers. It's consumer compliance function. And so the CRA, running a CRA program is making sure the data is accurate, that it gets reported to the government on time and that it's clean, making sure that the bank is equitably redistributing opportunity in the community by making loans and providing services and making investments for and to support small businesses or low to moderate income people or communities. So there's uh, a lot of data uh, on the compliance side and there's governmental benchmarks uh, per the regulations. So there's a lot of that. And once you get that down, then you can shift to the community. And once you have finished the compliance work, which is never quite done, but have it under control and have a process, then you get out into the community to partner with nonprofits and to learn what the community credit needs are, and then bring that information back to the bank and then work on solutions to further serve the community. And so it's a beautiful opportunity to support the bank and then leverage capital for the greater good. So Amazing. And if we shift just a little, you were telling me that you are also a mom and that you, your little ones were very little when you start, you decided to break away from corporate life. How have you found juggling being a mom, being an entrepreneur and finding that balance in life so that you feel like your kids have got enough attention and your business, which often feels like a baby, has getting enough of your attention? I think the concept of balance isn't true or attainable, right? There are always trade-offs in life and it's been a challenge, right? Making sure that we raise our littles so that they're good humans while raising my business. So I wouldn't say it's a perfect path, but we found our way. We found our way. And the funny thing is now is that I have teenagers, so they're happy to ignore me while I build this business. Oh my goodness. So in 2019, they were squarely teenagers and now they're going off to college, but it's been a fun journey because I have a little bit more time now, right? And really was able to launch this business with them. So I had an opportunity before I founded CRA Today, where a government entity reached out to me and said, oh, we'd love to have you run this region. And that would have been pretty cool, right? Because it would be certain it would be government. If I did my job, I can keep my job, right? It would be more stable. So I shared it with them one day and I said, this is my concept that CRA today and yeah. why. And I showed them, it's like a PowerPoint presentation almost. And then I shared the governmental opportunity. I said, I'm really struggling with the decision. And then my daughter said, after I shared everything, she said, Mom, this is obvious. You light up when you talk about CRA today and the possibilities. And why wouldn't you do that? And so it was such a simple response where as adults, we get too wrapped up in the what ifs and the fear and the lack of courage and all of that, that it, it was that comment and that moment with my family where I'm like, yeah, that's right. Why wouldn't I? Don't take the safe path, be courageous, go create something that the market needs. And I did. 
Amazing. Amazing. I have a teenage daughter as well. And I love seeing sometimes is, is anything I'm saying going in? And then <laughs> I think we all have that problem, don't we? Um, yeah. And then you have this moment where she said to me one day, she says, but mom, you know what, you should really reach out to influencers. And they in and I think you could reach out to this one and this one, and maybe they could wear dad's branded t shirts. And I'm like, Wow, <laughs> it really t- takes a moment where you like they do hear, they do see, even if sometimes we feel like we're not doing a great job. <laughs> it's a journey for sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose a thing to think about then as a mom is what are the top lessons you think your children have learned by watching you build a business? The, the moment you've shared is is lovely and what do you think they've learned do you think you've helped them see their own paths in a different way I think that I've instilled the entrepreneurial spirit from early so I remember my son wanted an iPad way back when he was seven or eight <laughs> and I'm like sure you can have anything you want in life but you got to earn it just like I have to. And so we created a little mini corporation that he ran and he was doing shredding services. And so we had him interview for this job and we he got the job, it turns out. And then we made business cards and he had to do timesheets and submit them. And we that was from an employee perspective, but we also talked about you can also create a business. Anybody can create a business. And that's what we did for his opportunity. So I thought that was good financial literacy and a good lesson early on for him. And sure enough, he earned enough to be able to, you know, get his iPad early on. And then my daughter at 12, she created her own business. She liked to sew. And so she created a bikini business and she sewed bikinis and then she created a logo and we tags with the logo and she made business cards and then she went up on Etsy and then she sold her locally as well as online and I was so proud I was so proud of her there she had the entrepreneurial spirit and so I framed her first dollar earned (laughs) there's just moments like that you get to play and do and experiment and fail and learn and those moments were really special in our family. And I think that they see that maybe I work a little too much sometimes. You see both. (laughs) And so they see the trade-offs and they see that opportunity is hard fought sometimes, right? And I'm trying to be more strategic, but in the beginning, I was doing everything. And so I couldn't just take weekends, right? And so I think that was a lesson too. They saw it, they understood it. Maybe they didn't completely understand it, but they saw me working in my work ethic and how I built it from nothing, because they were part of the origin story. So I think there's lessons along the way, for sure. Amazing. As we look to the future of CRA today, what do you see the next, say, two to three years looking like for you? The next two to three years are going to be hard on my industry, on my compliance officers, because the moment that regulation drops, it's going to be, there's going to be great market confusion and we're going to have 
two versions of the regulations to comply with. There'll be a phase in periods. Likely my compliance officers will have one more exam and they're going to have to then get ready for the next um, version of the CRA. And there's going to be lots and lots of market confusion, but I will be their beacon and I will figure it out with them because the government won't, they'll be limited and not being, they base some prior experience probably won't be able to deliver the training at the practitioner level like they haven't been able to before. And so we're just going to get through it together. Next two to three years is the phase in period for the new regulation. And I'm hoping to serve more officers, right? And to give them clarity and confidence to really uh, weather the next two to three years. So I'm just going to go deep in service and uh, serve more people because we'll have a lot to do. So that's really years is I have a solid uh, course. I have a solid membership and community. And now we're just going to bring me more people through it and support them as they move to implementation. So that's what I'm looking forward to. It's a little daunting, but yeah. we'll do it together. Yeah. Wonderful. And so obviously being from CHIP, I have to ask the obvious question. What kind of role do you think social media is going to mm-hmm play in your business in helping you find and reach more of the uh, compliance officers that you are able to serve? Yeah, it's interesting. In the very beginning, I dappled in all of the different social channels, if you will. And then I learned over time through trial error that my people were not necessarily on Instagram, I realized uh, that they're mostly on LinkedIn. And while I created a LinkedIn uh, a Facebook page and all the things, I and I got some engagement, I get the most engagement from the channel that they're most comfortable with, and that's LinkedIn. So I've also dappled with ads and tried to really look at that from a return on my investment of time and money. But I have such a small micro niche that I really can find them and then start a conversation and get to know them. So I didn't think that there was a great return for doing ads. However, I do regularly post and send most of my social content through LinkedIn, and then I replicate through Instagram and threads. Less engagement, but Sometimes our compliance officers are a little shy and it's hard to find them. So while I think it's important and I've had people convert from my podcast, oh, I heard I've been listening to your podcast. I finally have approval to join your community and that's pretty special. I'm able to promote and to share new offerings within LinkedIn and I'm pretty sure I get some conversions there, but I think it's more just awareness for me and I do invest in social Um, media, but it is not my primary way of engaging with my communities. Yeah. That's how I look at it. I've dappled a lot and I've found my way and I'm always open, but I, I have a quieter, smaller audience. So I need to be very targeted. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you said there about them being a bit shy and 
what I've seen is that often people are lurking. There are more people lurking than you realize yeah. on yeah. social media. And it is about building that awareness yeah. and that trust. And video is such a great way for people to right. feel connected. So yeah. I imagine that must work quite well for you. I don't know how much video you've tried. Um, oh, Leanne, Leanne, Leanne. I have noted that I need to do more video. I used to do video podcast episodes and then and then I stopped doing them because it just felt like there was a lot of effort in it into it. So maybe I wasn't doing it correctly. But now I realize that I do need to position myself and to do more videos so that people can get to know me better. And I do a lot of content that's flat, right? Or that's not me speaking, but it's yeah. so noted. So I'm <laughs> into the next oh, phase of my Honestly, I think especially for your yours is so community driven and you have such an amazing opportunity to position yourself as their go-to person that I would encourage you to definitely give video a try because people will connect with you even more than they already are. And it will draw those 1700 people towards you. So let's see you on video. (laughs) Indeed. Yes. I'm always open to learning and growing and there's phases in entrepreneurship, right? And right now I'm in the scaling phase and how, what's the best use of me? And I am the face of my brand. And so I want to work on strategy and growth and delivering high level content, but also connecting. And so the next best thing to being in person, of course, would be doing more video and connecting that way. Yes, I will work on it and get back to it. (laughs) And we have a really easy way for you to do that. So (laughs) So can't wait to learn more. So what we do is we work with uh, people just like you and we will do an interview for one hour. And in that one hour of interview, we will ask you all kinds of questions and give you an opportunity to really share your authentic self. And then from there, you don't have to worry about it for another minute because we will chop it up into 30 days worth of content for you. And then we schedule it. So you don't even get to be the bottleneck that oh. worries about sharing the content because we will schedule call and you? share. <laughs> from my team call you and say, she's the bottleneck. <laughs> I can tell you from experience, the founder is the bottleneck. I oh, was off my own bottleneck. Absolutely. So definitely that's something to think about on how you can get yourself because you are 100% correct in that that it's a one-to-many strategy and people want to connect with you as a person. Absolutely. Linda, it has been amazing to talk to you and I think I have somebody I want to introduce you to as well. So we'll chat about that offline. Um, It has been absolutely amazing to learn more about who you are, how you see the world and how you see the world of compliance as being a change maker. I think that's just phenomenal. So thank you so much for joining us on the Chair Podcast today. I hope that we will get to speak to you lots more. And that's Leanne Scott from the Chair Podcast with Linda from CRA. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.